Good morning, everybody. It's good to be together. If you're a guest with us, my name is John. I'm also a pastor here at the church, and it's great to be worshiping with you. And uh, we're starting today a a series, a post-Easter series uh, that's called Prepare to Launch. And it's a series uh, based on the appearances that Jesus made to people after that first Easter Sunday. And we're going to be looking at, at, at those stories. And uh, all the while remembering kind of the content of last week's message, Easter Sunday, the point of that was uh, when, when the women went to the tomb uh, on that first day of the week, that's, that Sunday morning a, a long time ago, and they found the tomb empty, they also encountered an angel, uh, the scripture records, that announced for the very first time this claim of resurrection. He has risen. So throughout this entire series, we're going to be holding in our hearts that the Easter claim is historical, not just religious and spiritual. And that really is the heart of of the Christian faith. The, The moment the angel said those words, he has risen, was the very instant that resurrection from the dead moved from spiritual philosophical idea to historical claim. And that's really important. It's no longer, hey, there might be something that happens when we die to this life someday way out there. The claim is that we live in a world where a resurrection has happened. And the the post-Easter appearances of Jesus to his apostles really served to prepare them to equip them for the mission to which he called them, which was to launch out into the world and share this news with with everyone everywhere. Not not simply to share their religious perspective now, not simply to advance their religion, but to announce something that has happened on the timeline of history that is important for everyone everywhere. That's what we're talking about. So that's, that's kind of the spirit of it. You know, when those, those, those women encountered that angel, the Bible says that they were both terrified and bewildered. Terrified, certainly, for this kind of otherworldly experience. But bewildered is interesting, isn't it? I think that comes because once the angel made that announcement, their minds started spinning 100 miles an hour. And they started thinking, if, if that's true... If it's true that he has risen, then, wow. If it's true that he has risen, then, you know, I mean, this is, this, is the, this is the thing. This is the human struggle. This is your struggle and my struggle grappling with the reality of this because that's the clear historical claim that it did happen, that we live in a world where a resurrection has happened and that we are all trying to frame our lives in light of that reality. It's grappling with our imaginations. So, so that's the thing. You know, if, if it did happen, if we live in a world where, where a resurrection has happened, then that changes everything. We do, and it did. And we've been trying to figure it out ever since. Right? So all of the appearances of Jesus to his followers after the resurrection are geared at helping them come to grips with this reality that we really do live in a world where a resurrection has happened and all of the implications that that, that has for us and, and everyone around us. So that's, that's the spirit of it. And here's the first story of those appearances to Jesus 
uh, to people after Easter Sunday. The word of the Lord from the 24th chapter of Luke. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Friends, indeed, this is the word of the Lord. So I could not believe it. I missed the gorilla. Completely did not see it. It was right on the screen and I didn't see it. In 1999, Harvard psychologists created a video. Six people, as I recall, three in white jerseys, three in black jerseys, standing in a small room, passing a basketball to one another. They were interweaving, and there were two balls. The white team was passing to one another. The black team was passing 
to one another. In the middle of the video, a gorilla walks into the screen, right in the middle of the circle. Man in a gorilla suit, I should say. Looks right at the camera, beats his chest three times, and walks off screen. I completely missed it. See, this was the test. Before showing the video in their classes, the researchers asked the students to count how many times the people in white passed the basketball to one another. With their focus on that, 50% of students totally missed the gorilla. Never even saw the gorilla on the screen. I was one of the... I wasn't at Harvard, of course, but... <laughs> I, I was one of the ones who missed it. Completely missed it. Could not believe it. Go through this experiment, and the, the professor says, did you see the gorilla? And I said, what? <laughs> what, what are you talking about? He said, look at it again. Like, I, there's a gorilla right there. How did I miss that? You know, the research, researchers published their, their article uh, titled, Gorilla in, Gorillas in Our Midst. You know, getting at the, the, the stuff that is glaringly obvious. It's right in front of us, but we, we don't see it. And it's, uh, it's a study that demonstrated a psychological concept called inattentional blindness. And it's, it's really your brain's fault, right? Your brain only has so much computing horsepower. So when you're entirely focused on one thing, you do that at the expense of focusing on other things. Uh, so, you know, you've, you've done this. We've all done this. You know, you look for five minutes for your sunglasses only to realize they're right here. <laughs> or keys, you know, where do I put my keys? And they're right in the middle of the kitchen counter. They've been there for the last half hour. You know, we're just not seeing the obvious. So there, there's a lot more to this, and it, it's all interesting stuff. One of the thin slices of this, one of the takeaways is that sometimes we miss the obvious because we're expecting something else. We're not looking for it. We're looking for what we're expecting to see. It's a powerful dynamic. And it's a human thing. It's by no way new. You know, on the evening of that very first Easter Sunday morning, there were two people walking a little dirt path from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They were followers of Jesus. They weren't one of the 11 apostles. But they were followers of Jesus, fully in with what Jesus had been up to. And they were talking about everything that had happened that Sabbath weekend, that Friday and Saturday, and the events of uh, the first day of the week, this Sunday morning. Because that was their calendar, by the way. Friday and Saturday was the weekend, and Sunday was their Monday, right? Um, and they, they were talking about that. And, uh, and as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognizing him. Now again, they weren't apostles, but they were all in with the Jesus thing, unabashedly called themselves followers of Christ, and they were, had to be utterly devastated by his death. And Jesus came up and walked alongside of them, and you can almost hear him asking the question. I don't, I don't know if it was how he said it, but I kind of wondered if it was a little bit of like, hey, what you talking about? What you, what you talking about? And and their response was stark. They stood still. Their faces downcast. The question literally stopped them in their tracks. They had been walking. And they stopped. Because it all came rushing back again. They remembered this wasn't a dream. 
You know, all the events, everything they had just witnessed, the weight of the whole ordeal overwhelmed them yet again. It had only been three days, but they were exhausted by the crushing disappointment of it all. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Jesus, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? I'm trying to be kind, but the subtext is pretty clear, right? Dude, how did you miss this? I mean, everybody knows what, the entire city is talking about this. What's going on? Cleopas must have been thinking, wowza, man, we got ourselves a regular rocket scientist here. How could he miss something so obvious? <laughs> the irony is pretty thick, right? I mean, Cleopas thinking Jesus is missing the obvious. I mean, we've all been there, right? You've done this, I've done this. We've felt rather dumb after the fact, you know, thinking we've got it all figured out and the person we're talking to or everybody else is missing the obvious only to realize a little bit down the road that, oh yeah, oh yeah there was that one thing I didn't quite get. <laughs> uh, and, and, and Jesus plays along. Right? He says, well, what things? Well, what are you talking about? I love this about Jesus, by the way. Right? It shows that he sticks with us through all of our, all of our stuff, our ignorance, really. Right? Walking with us, asking questions of us all toward the end of helping us see him again and hear from him again. But we'll, we'll get to that. This, this question leads to what some call the gospel of Cleopas. Because Cleopas just kind of unloads on Jesus. And here it is. I'm, I'm talking about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. There's the, the faulty Palm Sunday uh, assumption, right? They were expecting a different kind of king, so they were only going to see what they expected. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. So the gospel according to Cleopas, right? All of the information is there. The ministry of Jesus and word and deed, the crucifixion, the hope of redemption, you know, the announcement he is risen. There's the, the apostolic witness to the empty tomb. I mean, that the facts of the gospel are, are, are all present here. The head knowledge is there. The correct information is there. So why can't they see Jesus? Why aren't they recognizing him? Yeah, their expectations are off. They got the whole Palm Sunday thing, right? They expected Jesus to be the conquering king and uh, he died. So clearly he's not going to do that anymore. So they missed the obvious because they were expecting a different kind of king. Um, You know, because Jesus died, they expected him to be dead because when people die, they're dead. Right? They weren't expecting a living Christ who would. Right? They missed the obvious because they were expecting something else. Yeah, but there, there's more to it than that, right? We don't recognize Jesus by figuring this whole faith thing out on our own. We don't recognize Jesus by 
training our minds to see everything that's visible. We don't recognize Jesus simply by overcoming the shortcuts our our mental processor makes to keep things easy and, and manageable. That's not the way we come to recognize Jesus. We recognize Jesus when Jesus reveals himself to us. And there's, there's a whole conversation in theology about the relationship between reason and revelation. Reason, the capacity to figure it out on our own. Uh, revelation, coming to some kind of knowledge that's beyond us, that has come to us, not by our own figuring. I mean, I, some, some take this conversation, the conversation between revelation and reason, to be an either-or kind of thing, as if the two are involved in a wrestling match and trying to wrestle the other to the mat and, and pin. It's a win-lose kind of thing. That, that's not my understanding of this conversation at all, nor do I think it should be a Christian's understanding of this thing at all. A simple way, I need it simple, to understand this is that there are earthly things and there are heavenly things. Our reason is the tool that God has given us to understand and explore earthly things. If we rely exclusively on our reason to understand things beyond us, we'll come up short because they're beyond us, right? Revelation is the path, the gift that God has given us toward understanding things beyond us, the things we can't figure out on our own. This is not check your brain at the door, abandon your intellect so as to have faith. That's not at all what this is about. This is about seeing the world for what it is. That there are things that we can apply ourselves to and figure out. And there are things to which if we apply ourselves for the next 10,000 years, we would never figure out on our own. That's just true, right? I think it's why the Bible can say things like this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Again, that doesn't mean don't think. It just means don't make your capacity to reason the foundation of your life. Don't place your ultimate trust in your capacity to figure things out because your capacity to figure things out will let you down every time. Like every time. Uh, Do do any of you know the book, a recent book by Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow? Do you some of, yeah, some know this? It's uh, uh, just fascinating research. Reading it is like eating 10 pounds of beef jerky. So if you want to read it, just go in, eyes wide open. Uh, If you want the cheeseburger version, there's one by Michael Lewis called The Undoing Project, which kind of summarizes the whole thing. Absolutely fascinating research. Again, more psychological stuff. And uh, the the, the summary version is that they, they dove into cognitive biases, how our brains work. And it's a bit like the gorilla thing, but, but different. The executive summary is that all of us way, way overestimate the accuracy of our reason. Our capacity to figure things out in an unbiased fashion and come to the conclusion. That's super simple. There's way more to it than that. Uh, but I don't think it's a stretch to say that their research confirms this proverb. As an object of faith, our reason will let us down. It wasn't designed to be that, right? Uh, It will always let us down. We're supposed to use it as best we can, steward it, use this for good and serve others, all of that. But we just don't make it our ultimate trust in life. That's the thing. See, we recognize Jesus when Jesus reveals him, 
self to us. And Jesus reveals himself to us in two ways. By word and spirit. This is something that basically all Christians everywhere have understood since we've had the faith. Right? The, the, the word refers to the word of God. And, and there, there are two of these, biblically. There's the capital W word. That refers to Jesus himself, God's most specific revelation of himself. Here's a verse that refers to this. In the beginning was the word, Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So there's the, the way God has revealed himself to us through Jesus. And then there's the small w word of scripture, the Bible, the Old and New Testaments, the written witness to everything that God has done. Here's another verse. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. There's, uh, and if, if, you're, if you're yet, if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus and you've yet to experience this, it's a really difficult thing to explain. I imagine many of us in this room have experienced this and struggle with how to explain it to other people. When, when we read the Bible, we know that we know that this is not like any other book. And, and Christians have, in, in the past, have tried to explain that. And, and ultimately, the best explanation I've come across is uh, uh, from, from the Belgic Confession. Why do we believe that the Bible is the word of God? Through the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I understand that that is thoroughly dissatisfying. If you are a follower of Jesus, I think you say, oh, yeah, that's it, right? It, it's one of those things. Uh, but we know that scripture is different. We know that this is the word of God. So Jesus reveals himself by word and by spirit. We can have all of the correct information and still not recognize Jesus, right? We need, we need that personal word. We need God to speak and, and enliven that word in us to make himself known personally. I mean, this is what Cleopas lacked. He had all of the right information, but there's a big difference between information and transformation. And God is about changing people, making us new again. It's about transformation. I mean, this, this is how all people everywhere come to authentic faith in Jesus, word and spirit. It, it's just everywhere. Uh, several years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Turkey with uh, one of our elders, Jan Fields, and Dave Bast, a former pastor of this church and leader of Words of Hope, and some other friends. And we were there to lead a conference of some young Christians from the country of Iran. The, the Iranians could leave their country and come to Istanbul, but of course, we could not go into Iran. So I, I so, so vividly remember the basement of this hotel in Istanbul and we had to go secretly into this basement room and kind of keep a lid on it because Turkey doesn't look too kindly on these things either. So we're kind of hiding away in this basement and singing kind of quietly and about 30 Iranian believers. And somewhere along the, along the line, the question came up, hey, would you tell your story of coming to faith? How did you come to believe that Jesus is really who he said he was? Like, how, how did that work for you? Absolutely, I was, I was absolutely stunned. Remember that? There, there, we just went around the table and almost to a person, it was somehow or another, they got a copy of the Bible, be it through like a little SD micro card that somebody put in their phone or maybe a friend had one or very few actual 
books, like so it's mostly on the down low, like digitally somehow. I mean, some, some way somebody came across some scripture, started reading it. It was either, either one of these things came first, right? Either that came first, and then they had some experience. Literally, person after person. And they didn't know they were supposed to say this, right? They, they had no Christian cultural background at all. And they would say, well, I had a dream. Saw Jesus plain as day. And he spoke to me. And he said, what you read there was true. Powerful. Right? Word and spirit. Just story after story like that. And, And I know no matter what your story is, if you're a follower of Jesus... You've experienced this somehow. Even if you were raised in the church and can never remember a day when you didn't know the Lord, which is a, a beautiful, wonderful thing. Right? My story is a bit different than that, but I think our story is supposed to be that we can never remember a day when we didn't know the Lord. So, by the way, if you're a Christian and that's your story and you think you don't have a story, you're wrong. You have a beautiful story. I think you have the story as it's supposed to be. Right? Even if you have that story, somewhere along the line, God did something in you. The the words of this book, all the things you maybe heard your parents read or friends read, somewhere along the line, God enlivened this in you. And you went, oh. You know, Bible language for this is when the faith of your parents becomes your faith. Happened to Jacob in the Old Testament. He referred to the God of his father's. For, for so long. And then he had that wrestling match with God. Remember that? Where he wouldn't let go of God until God would bless him. Ever after, Jacob said, the Lord, my God, not the God of my father. It got personalized, right? Somewhere, this happened for us. Um, mine happened on October 3rd, 1993. I didn't grow up in the church. I had a lot of Christian knowledge was considering myself a Christian, but that morning I was reading my Bible, uh, read through Matthew 27, which is the account of Jesus being uh, taken out of the praetorium of the Roman stronghold and beaten and whipped and spit upon and crown of thorns, purple robe put on me. It was that part. And then they took him away to crucify him. And then after that, I read Galatians uh, chapter 5. Uh, it, it, it starts with this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So I had those two passages in my mind and then I went downstairs and clicked the TV on and for those of you who were, uh, one who were alive then <laughs> and, and remember this story, that was the date of the Black Hawk Down incident in Somalia. You, you remember this maybe if you, if you, and if you remember the way the story went, the helicopter went down and this roving gang in Mogadishu, the capital city, captured the body of one of the marine captains of the helicopter. And I'll never forget this. I was eating oatmeal, watching CNN, and one of the most graphic things I've ever seen on television, I don't know how they got this. There's a film crew right there. They had stripped the body naked, hogtied it around the arms and legs and were dragging it through the streets of Mogadishu and people were kicking it, spitting on it. And the personal word for me was, John, I did that for you. 
takes all the head stuff, right? I had all that stuff in my head, but God spoke. It it wasn't verbal for me, but I know that I know that the living God said to me, John, I did this for you. And everything's different. I mean, the, the longest 18 inches in the world, here to here, right? Suddenly, oh yeah, this is real. Oh yeah, he's really alive right now. Oh yeah, he really did this. This isn't just a Sunday morning religious idea. This is everything all the time. Jesus is alive. Man, the Lord is speaking by word and by spirit. And as Jesus began appearing to his followers after he had died and then been raised from the dead, he started by setting this foundation that he's speaking right now. This isn't a thing from days of old. The Lord is speaking right now by word and by spirit. And he's inviting us to hear him. So we come back to the two most important questions of discipleship. What is the Lord saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? Because the Lord is speaking. Are we listening? Then there's one more place in the story today where Jesus played a little coy. But I think it was for our good and the good of all of his followers across history. When they approached Emmaus, arrived in Emmaus actually, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. He's kind of acting it up a little bit here, right? Like he's acting like he's going to keep walking and just leave them right there. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. You know, Jesus threw a head fake, I think. He acted like he was going to keep walking. Why? Because he wanted them to invite him to stay. Jesus wants us to invite him to stay. You know, this this is the first step toward recognizing Jesus, seeing him, hearing him. This is the step that all of us have in our back pocket all the time, no matter where we've been, no matter what road we've been walking, no matter the the level of pain we've endured, no matter the degree of your preoccupation with life or or whatever. And Jesus wants us to invite him to stay. And it's a choice of the will, right? It's not a religious experience. It's just simply making a decision. Jesus, would you stay with me? And I invite you to extend that invitation to him now. He wants to stay. And in this story, of course, Jesus was recognized when he broke bread with his apostles. And today we're celebrating the Lord's Supper. We're we're breaking bread together. We're rehearsing that moment when Jesus was recognized by those those two apostles or those two Christians on their way to, to Emmaus. So make it your act of faith today as we come to the table. Come Seeking God. Come inviting God to stay with you. Come asking God to make himself known to you in the person of Jesus by word and by spirit. Come to the table. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Pray with me, would you? God, indeed, we bless you that you are a good God. We thank you, uh, Jesus, for the story. We thank you that the claim is historical, that we have something to sink our teeth into. This isn't just a philosophy or a spiritual idea or, or religion per se, but the claim is historical. And we confess together with your church around the world that if it didn't happen, we'll bag this and move on. Uh, but God, we believe that it did because we continue to hear from you and you continue to confirm that claim. So would you break down every barrier in us, God, that keeps us from a close relationship with you? We know that at the moment of your death on the cross, the temple curtain separating the holy of holies from everyone else was torn in two. We, we know, God, that your work is about removing the barrier between the presence of yourself and your people. And God, we want to live that closely with you. So help us. Help us wherever we are. If we're exploring, if we've been away for a long time, if we feel like we're really close, we, we want a relationship with you. We want to be the people you created us to be. Help us in all that, God. We invite you, Lord Jesus, stay with us. Stay with us, please, and make yourself known. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen.